Well, Work is Worship uh, is our new series, and we're really excited about it. I want to tell you uh, about our staff. You saw the drawing on there. That wasn't something they just found online. Uh, our Lexi, who works in our communications department, she's the one who drew that all out. Uh, Joel Klein is our videographer, and, and he was able to uh, video that. Pastor Matt uh, outlined the messages, and Joel Farber is the one who put these into slides for Pro Presenter, and, and I prayed for everybody. And so uh, <laughs> that's how that worked. It's really cool to have the opportunity to uh, serve one another, but more specifically, that our lives would be lives of worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 tells us that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. So whether we are paid staff or volunteer, whether we work inside the church or outside the church, everything is holy and unto the Lord and dedicated to him in the things that we do and in the things that we say. And work can be worship. And so um, a few months ago, I did a consecration prayer. And uh, in that consecration prayer, we talked about there are all kinds of things we could do, but perhaps what God wants to do is something very specific with us. And for us to surrender ourselves to him, our mind, our eyes, our nose, our mouth, our ears, our hands, our feet, everything is to be consecrated to the Lord for his use and for his glory that we could worship him. And so what I'd like to do as we start this series is to do that very thing again. Uh, that we would consecrate ourselves to the Lord today. So if you would be so willing to stand up with me, and you may want to follow, just as I said, and I would encourage you to do that as I talk about your mind, to, to just kind of touch your head as a, a way of reinforcing this belongs to the Lord. My eyes belong to, don't poke yourself in the eyes, but just on the side uh, as we go through it. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to you today. We consecrate our mind, that we would think on you in all things. We consecrate our eyes, that we would see you at work in us and through us and around us. Lord, we consecrate our nose, that sin would smell like death and faith the aroma of Christ. We consecrate our ears, that we would hear you and obey. We consecrate our mouth, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that with our mouth we would speak words of life. We consecrate our hands, that we would serve you in all things, and that through us you would serve others. Lord, we consecrate our feet, that wherever you lead, we would go, all for your good glory. We consecrate ourselves to you, Lord, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Work as worship. Well, that's probably not intuitive in our culture. We might not think that, and there are a variety of reasons we may not think that. But uh, one of those, <laughs> I saw like, this encapsulates so beautifully how our culture would consider work. What you see is an invention. It is a motorized fork. And you might say, well, what, what would a motorized fork do? Well, you put it in your pasta and you push a button and the fork spins for you. 
So you don't have to, because you wouldn't want to burn unnecessary calories, right? Like, there would be no reason for you to do that. No, we've invented a fork that would do the rotating for us. Uh, work as worship. Well, if this is true, if uh, we see work as kind of a bad thing, then that leads us to some really poor directions. In fact, I was thinking of a movie from 2008, WALL-E, maybe you've seen it. Uh, it has this hapless robot abandoned to take care or clean up after humans in preparation for humans to come back to earth one day, perhaps. But there was an inadvertent situation. There were consequences to having robots do everything. And for leaving Earth, and if you saw the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about, people, human beings, just became these mindless consumers overexposed to gravity, so not having any strength in their, or, I'm sorry, overexposed to artificial gravity, not having strength in their own body to pick themselves up. There was absolutely no exercise, and they just became adult babies. Well... Isn't it good that God has a plan and it's a good plan? And I want to say, for everyone who has called on the name of the Lord, for everyone who has seen that God has offered himself uh, as a sacrifice on the cross, who have called on the name of the Lord, who have repented of sins, and who follow him, there is a redemption that has occurred, that God has a purpose for us. And in the midst of the purpose, literally everything we do can be an act of worship, including work. Isn't that good news? How many of you have ever had that thought? Oh, I could work and worship God with my work. How many of you think, well, I could if it wasn't for my coworkers? How many of you think, go, yeah, if it wasn't, uh, your coworkers are saying, yeah, if it wasn't for my coworker? Uh, this issue of worship at work maybe isn't always intuitive, but I want to suggest to us today that God actually created us for a purpose. And a part of that is work. And that work can certainly be what we get paid to do uh, vocationally. But that work can also be the way that we volunteer, the way that we live our lives at home when no one else is looking, that our lives can be an act of worship through the work that we offer. So what I'd like to do is take a little bit of time to put some framework together to build on something. And then we're going to go to a parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 19. And in that parable, we're going to break it down to some highlights and talk about how that affects us. And then we'll wrap it up with some concluding thoughts as we go into our time of communion. Well, uh, with that in mind, I want to let you know you will need your Bible today. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get it out. If you don't have a Bible, we do have church Bibles in the back. And if you raise your hand, someone will uh, bring you a Bible. If you don't have one, this is our gift to you. We want everyone to have access to the, the, the living, transforming Word of God. We just believe highly in God's Word, and we want everyone to have access to it. If today you came and said, I have my uh, device with me, I'll just use it, that's fine. But I am trusting that that's exactly what you're using it for, is the Bible. That will be my step of faith if you're using your device, okay? All right. Well, with that in mind, let's just jump right in. Firstly, we were made to work. God created us 
to work. And we see that right in the very beginning from Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. As God creates humankind in his own image, which we'll come back to in a moment, he also creates them for a purpose. And this is what it is. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. There was something about uh, humanity that God wanted to be stewards of the creation that he had just made. That humanity had this responsibility in light of all that is good and all that is holy and the way that God had designed, he wanted humanity to oversee that. And so he did. We were made to work. But not just that. Let's identify that God himself is a worker. That God himself is a worker. As we're building this framework, we want to identify the very one who created us is a worker. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ex nihilo, from nothing, something. God made something out of nothing. He is a worker. God created. And we see this played out even more in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, affirming that God is a worker. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. In other words, God had been working. He worked in creation to create. And that he worked throughout the seven days of creation. Or the six days of creation rested on the seventh. God is a worker. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. That was the first seven days. And then what's he done since then? Great question. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, Let's take a look at it from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. God rested from the work of creation, but he continues his work today. In Philippians 1, 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is still at work within you. He's not done yet. And what he is doing is working out his work within you. If you have called on the name of the Lord, if you've surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then he is at work for sure in a very specific way within you. Paul identifies that in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Not only is God a worker, but let's go back to Genesis for a moment. Because we were made in God's image to work the creation. So not only were we created to work, But we were created in God's image. And God is a worker. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So there is work. They have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God has created us in his image, and in his image, he has an expectation that we would work. And we are working to do what God has called us to, and more specifically, to steward that which he has given us to steward. But uh, there, there is a curse, and we need to address that. Because of sin, uh, work is hard and painful. Because of sin, work is hard and painful. So up to that point, boy, it was all good. <laughs> yes, I love to work. Oh, even my coworkers are wonderful. I love my coworkers. Uh, my coworkers love me, and we love God together, doing exactly what God has called us to do. But something happened at the fall. 
And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Because of the curse, because Adam and Eve chose that they wanted to be like God instead of being with God, because they brought sin into the world, there were, consecra- there were uh, consequences to the creation, and those, consecra- those consequences uh, affect us still today. Those consequences are consequences of death. And so... Uh, Let's talk about that because you may be thinking, well, if those consequences of death, then doesn't that affect work? Well, no, the work hasn't changed, but let's look and see what God wants to do with it. In fact, this God who was willing to come in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sins, to conquer sin and death, who rose from the grave and gives life to anybody who would call on him, this same God is the same God who is going to redeem everything. He's going to redeem the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And work is included in that. So Revelation 21.5. Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 22.3. No longer will there be anything accursed. God is going to address it. And work is even one of those things that will completely and utterly be addressed. Additionally, we see it in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 20 and 21, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Even creation experiences this freedom, this redemptive work of Christ. Well, now that we've set together some framework that we were created to work, that God is a worker, and that we were created in God's image to work creation, and that God is redeeming this work despite the curse, let's jump in to Luke chapter 19. This is a parable that Jesus gives on the kingdom of God. And uh, just to give a little bit of reference, uh, this, is, this is just before... Uh, Jesus cleanses the temple. It's just before the triumphal entry. Jesus has met a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus uh, is a tax collector who taxed his own people, who helped Rome to uh, become wealthier and charged his own people for it. He was not really liked too much as a tax collector in ancient Israel. But Jesus meets him. And in the midst of Jesus meeting him, Zacchaeus shows signs of repentance. He even says, I'll I'll pay back that which I've taken. And Jesus responds to him uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 9. He says, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. In the midst of Jesus saying that he came to seek and save the lost, he gives an illustration It's a parable. 
this parable is going to help identify how Jesus has come to seek and save the lost and that he's actually called people to himself and calling people to himself. He's given them responsibility in the midst of giving them responsibility. They have a responsibility that they need to own to take what has been given to them and add to it or to multiply it. And there are consequences if not. Well, let's jump in to Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Remember, Jesus has been teaching about this kingdom of God. There have been some exciting things that have happened. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. People are talking about this amazing man, Jesus from Nazareth, who is coming, who may be the Messiah, and they're coming with great anticipation. Young men are starting to prepare. They've heard about this Messiah coming. And in the midst of them going into Jerusalem, they're preparing a way. They're going to celebrate the, the, the king. In the midst of that, they're also believing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All things are going to be new. This Messiah is going to start his reign that will last forever in a very physical way. The enemies of Israel are going to be chased away. It is going to be dynamic. And here it is in front of us. And Jesus is going to give this illustration, this parable, to let them know it's not the way you think. And it is the way you think. Hang in there. Verse 12. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Obviously, you and I know this, but Jesus is referring to himself. He's the nobleman. Verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And he sent a delegation after him saying, uh, we do not want this man to reign over us. So just again for clarity, uh, this nobleman has picked these people to represent him and his kingdom and his kingdom interests. They don't like the king and they don't want to follow him. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, uh, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. So, so far, one of the men who was faithful to what the nobleman had given him increased tenfold. Another person, fivefold. And then we get to verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Uh, what? For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And the nobleman said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. He's not even going to defend. He's not going to challenge it. He's just going to say, based on your own words, uh, you're condemned. You wicked servant. 
You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Verse 26. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. In other words, they have no part in my kingdom. So what do we have here? Well, let's highlight a few thoughts about work as worship. And Jesus, specifically, his teaching on the kingdom in this manner. First of all, there is a responsibility to be stewards of that which is given. For those that the noblemen called, there was a responsibility. You have a mina, do something with it. At least put it in the bank and add to it. But for others, it can be multiplied. You're a servant. You're entrusted with something that isn't yours for a kingdom that is not yours for the sake of multiplication or addition. For the kingdom's sake, not for us. We are encouraged to utilize our talents. We're encouraged in the stewardship to utilize our talents that we can add or multiply that which is given. It is the expectation of those who have been redeemed. Additionally, responsibility is given. Servants are held accountable. So they're not just given it and said, go get them, best of luck. Rather, they have a responsibility. And the responsibility is to be a good steward, to add to it or to multiply it. And they're going to be held accountable. In other words, one day they will come face to face with the nobleman. One day we come face to face with God. Additionally, there is faithfulness that is rewarded. In other words, not only are we stewards, not only is there responsibility, but there is also a reward that happens along with this, that our faithfulness is expected, but there is a reward that comes along with it. And it's, uh, um, it's based on the meaningful efforts that have taken place. I might go on to say that uh, these who have been given the minas had a responsibility to steward it, which meant they were going to have to think it through. How will I take care of that which God has given me? And Jesus told the one man, you should have at least put it in a bank. But for the, other that came forward, for the others who came forward, they, they had already enacted a plan to multiply it, to, to make it bigger. One of the things I love about Friendship Church is that mindset is a part of the DNA of this fellowship where they said, actually, we have, we have been given a responsibility in Scott County to minister the gospel or rather to administer the gospel. And we're going to do that in a variety of ways. And that came 20 years ago when uh, that came in part 20 years ago when this campus was built where they said, yep, we recognize we exist in Prior Lake, but also there are some unreached people in the Shakopee area that we want to reach for Christ. And, and that's in part what happened. And it was because they'd been given a gift, they were good stewards, and they were faithful. And friends, the baton has been passed to us. What will we do in this next stage?
Additionally, there's a parable message or a kingdom message. The master values proactive and faithful action. Proactive and faithful action. We, we do have to prayerfully consider what's our next step, individually and corporately. What's our next step? Uh, what will we do next? How will we take what God has given us and leverage it for the kingdom of God for the sake of the gospel, not for Friendship Church, not for Kenny White, not for you, but, but for the glory of God as an act of worship. How do we work in this space? Because God seems to have a value in proactive and faithful action. And finally, there is a kingdom perspective here, a kingdom perspective. And it's a, it's a unique and beautiful perspective that the God who spoke and created something out of nothing has called his creation, humankind, into his image and has called them to take and steward this gospel uh, with others. In other words, God wants to use us to advance his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Like, God, you trust me for that? Yeah, yeah, I do. No, I've, I've called you to that. And there's an expectation that somehow beautifully God wants to use uh, his message in your life to bring others out of the darkness and into the light. I'm thankful for many of you who have done that, who have exercised that. I can tell you of a guy named Mike Kent. Uh, Mike was a young man, flawed man, uh, <laughs> struggled with a lot of stuff, and at the same time loved the Lord. In the midst of loving the Lord, he, he saw this uh, young man who was kind of desperate and in a bad spot, uh, who at the time was living on the couch of his friend's house as he had been kicked out of his own home, whose life trajectory was definitely going in a way that he didn't want to go. And Mike Kent allowed God to use him as he shared the gospel with me. And in the midst of sharing his, the gospel with me, I, I didn't that day go, yes, I want that. But I did say, you know what? I, I think I'd like to know more. And he took me to church and he loved me. And he saw times when I was uncomfortable and he said, hey, hey let's talk about that. I can see you're uncomfortable. Yep. He gave me grace. He extended grace. And when the gospel was called, Mike just sat in the corner and he prayed, Lord, help Kenny to hear this. And I did, and I went forward, but it was because of a man who was faithful in this kingdom perspective that uniquely God uh, called, and he was faithful. And so, what of us? How might God want to use work in our lives that we could worship him? How might he be giving us the opportunity to steward his gospel that we're all sinners and need a savior, that we're not the savior, that Jesus is the savior. He came in the flesh. He died on the cross. He conquered sin and death. He gives life to anybody who would call on him as they repent from their sins. What might God be doing? Well, we have a few thoughts and I want to share those with you uh, as we wrap up our time together. Here's the first one. How has sin damaged your views or attitudes related to work? Uh, would you say, yeah, I don't think that, I often don't think, work, what an amazing gift God has given me. Or uh, do, I think, uh, uh, do I think something different of work? Oh, I, I actually like what I do, but I don't like the people I do it with. 
How has sin damaged our views of work and specifically work as worship? Secondly, how will the fact that God designed us to be workers impact the work we do this week? So God designed us to be workers. How will that impact us to do the work we've been given for this coming week? I would encourage you to be purposeful, to take some time today to set apart, uh, to, to think through, okay, this is on my agenda. These are things I know I need to do this week. How can I do it in a worshipful way that will honor God? And thirdly, how does God's redemption of work give you hope as you approach this week? That God is redeeming all things, including work. How might that give you hope? As you're considering these things, I want to transition our hearts a little bit. The worship team will be coming out in a moment. As they're coming out, I want to transition our hearts to a time of communion. Communion is, first of all, for the believer. For those who have surrendered to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Friendship Church practices what's called open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but you do need to be a member of the church. And what we mean by that is someone who has surrendered to Christ as their Lord and Savior, regardless of a specific church affiliation. So have you surrendered to Christ as your Lord and Savior? Secondly, and 1 Corinthians tells us that we need to take time to examine our heart. Is there any unconfessed sin? This is a way for us to identify a trajectory in our lives that is away from what God has wanted. Maybe it even has to do with work. Are there some times this week where you've been uh, not faithful with the work that you've been given? Is there some time this week where maybe you've been unloving to your coworkers? Or perhaps it even goes to your home. Have there been some things that you've left undone, whether that's in relationship or with attitude and action? This is a good time to confess it. The Greek word for confess just means to turn away, or I'm sorry, to say the same thing. So you're saying what the Lord already knows to be true. Lord, I've been unloving uh, to my coworkers. And Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to choose to follow you in those places, to repent and turn uh, to the Lord. And so this is a time for reflection. You'll have an opportunity in just a few moments Uh, to get up and to participate. And we would encourage you to take just a few moments in in prayer at your seat to confirm your relationship with the Lord and to to identify any unconfessed sin. And for you to be able to uh, stand up, go to the carpeted areas and to the station nearest you, and then to the outer aisle back to your seat. At the end of the next song, we'll participate together with both elements. With that, uh, join me as we pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Lord, we're so encouraged by the families who have come forward today to say, part of the work, the way that I can worship you, Lord, is dedicating my family to you. So, Lord, I'm I'm thankful, even today, as the Matsons and Hansons came forward uh, for their heart and desire for you. Would you bless them? Would you fill them with your spirit to overflow and strengthen and encourage them? And Lord, for us today, as we consider your word and the reality of work as worship, we recognize that that is uh, not popular, that we, we could embrace work, that it could be an act of worship, and that maybe even in the midst of it, you have a plan of transformation. And so, Lord, we yield to you now. 
for your good glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.